Sasha Stone is an activist, public speaker, publisher, writer, and filmmaker. And since 1999, when he established his nonprofit organization, Humanidad, he's been at the cutting edge of bringing together humanitarian issues and trying to assist with the public becoming up to speed with uh, some of the advanced technologies that have been secretly developed and reverse engineered in various projects. And when he was uh, working with Humanidad, he was asked to assist the United Nations in getting up to speed with some of the advanced technologies that are spoken about and described in ancient texts. And he's with us here today on Exopolitics Today to bridge these different fields of exoarchaeology and some of the power structures that are responsible for the Earth's situation today. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. Well, welcome, Sasha, to Exopolitics Today. Well, Dr. Sala, very, very happy to, to join you on, on your platform. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I know you've got a very interesting history, fascinating history. Um, uh, so I know you were born and raised in Rhodesia, and then at some point you decided to become a rock musician, an artist. And, um, and so, yeah, how did that... How did that progress and what made you decide in 1999 that you wanted to leave the music industry and start up a humanitarian organization? Uh, the, the rock and roll thing for me was really a primal scream growing up in a bush war in Africa for the first 17 years of my life and then becoming effectively a refugee and um, sort of patriated to United Kingdom where I was given leave to live and remain, but I couldn't work and I couldn't get, get wouldn't, it didn't give me a passport. Um, so I was a refugee effectively and trapped by that. And um, I, I got into rock and roll as a kind of, um, sort of primal scream, you know, the late adolescence into my mid twenties. And then by the end of my twenties, I just reached a, a point where I wanted to, I got that scream out, but wanted to, um, start looking at remedy you know as we do we look at our childhood and we go well that was really screwed up and i, I want a better world than that and so my sense of um uh, rage had been quelled into more of a philosophical stance and so i set up humanitad foundation because i had access at that point at the end of my um, little shock poet rock and roll years i had a, a, a limited um, a celebrity and access to um royal houses and you know, Dalai Lama and Nelson Mandela and different sort of icons at that time. And so I exercised that access to begin my own journey into trying to remedy the world. And of course, much of it was folly. And um, that led me ultimately to being um, educated by sufficient a number of world leaders who took me aside after five or six years of my diplomatic work and said, you know, you're wasting your time, son that that uh, peace thing that you're on about is not an unity consciousness is not factored in, into the business model, you know. And so I had to really change my focus and start looking into the basement, so to speak. And I began very deep um, dive into what makes the world tick. Why are we subjected to endless uh, cycles of blood economy, war, disease and poverty? And why was 
the world that I grew up in sub-Saharan Africa is so fucked up. I wanted to get the answers to those questions. And, um, and that eventually led me to being um, continuing in my work uh, in, in kind of citizen diplomacy and seeding relations with uh, cultures and faiths and, and I guess governments around the world became a trusted go-to um, in some cases by elements within government that asked uh, my foundation Humanitat to get on board with certain weird projects, spooky projects, uh, which is really what led me to exopolitics. And, you know, for many years I've been meeting with the, the Stephen Greers and the Stephen Bassetts and the Lloyd Pies of this world and um, and a lot of great scientists who are on the edge. So I was putting together brain trusts of advanced scientists and thinkers and innovators and pioneers. And my foundation became a trusted agent in that sense by certain more conscious powers. And so we were asked on, on a couple of occasions to troubleshoot um, alien technologies and um, even in, in one instance in particular, alien hybrids uh, uh, living amongst us. And so I, I was pulled into that that strange basement that you are really the chief icon in the disclosure of, uh, but it's not my wheelhouse. Um, I was more interested in the um, regenerative um, economics and um, finding out solutions, technological solutions. And eventually I was petitioned by elements within the United Nations who asked me to come in and help sex up the UN. This is back in 2009. And I fell victim to that um, eventually after refusing because I despise the United Nations. I despise the entire global apparatus. But um, I was convinced momentarily that sufficient good people trapped within that system needed and wanted good NGOs like mine to come in and help troubleshoot in their basement. So I fell for that line and um, assumed a, a role as the director general for intergovernmental renewable energy so i'll correct you on that the un did not pull me in on archaeocosmology they pulled me in on millennium development goals relating to sustainability and re regenerative uh, economics and that led to me taking on the mantle for sustainable um, renewable energies and breakthrough technologies that was my focus there but uh, i recognized within two years that the uh, Chinese were buying out the basement of the UN, and I called it out in 2009, 2010, uh, 13 years ago, long before uh, Trump or anyone else were grandstanding and talking about uh, China and the Chinese threat. Um, but I remind the world that we created Maoism in China. We installed that deviant software. Wall Street financed the fall of the um, Romanov dynasty, the Bolshe Bolshevik revolution and the installation of communism in Russia, which they're now demonizing, and Maoism, communism, cultural Marxism in China is the utility of the British crown, the Vatican, and the Anglo-American compact, Wall Street. So let's just always keep our sights on the fact that the calamities that we point at today are really the devise of our own governments. Well, I know in 2010, uh, the United Nations did uh, something extraordinary. It invited the caste uh, and the scriptwriters of the Battlestar Galactica series to give a presentation on how to solve, uh, how they kind of approached this kind of intergalactic conflict and how that could be applied to international conflict. And so that was remarkable, uh, you know, because um, the UN had never done anything like that before. And that kind of stood out. 
So were you in any way involved with that? Well, it's so interesting you say that because I, I, I was probably part responsible uh, in as much as I um, paved the way for um, Dr. Brian O'Leary, who was a beloved friend of mine, the erstwhile Apollo uh, a, a scientist, astronaut, uh, mission leader, who was intended to lead the mission to Mars, if you remember, before Congress reneged or bailed on uh, allocating the budget uh, for that mission. But uh, Brian O'Leary was a beloved friend and very involved in, um, I guess, not so much exopolitics as he was trying to disclose the truth of the secret space program and uh, the fact that um, things were not uh, quite what they seemed in the, uh, in the shadow government and the shadow NASA basement. So he was trying to, vying for disclosure. I helped him um, and got him into the United Nations to speak to relevant parties there. And um, at the same time, I was also um, encouraging conversations between the Bishop of Jerusalem and uh, uh, Edgar Mitchell and uh, uh, Stephen Bassett and others who are and were involved in the fringes of the exopolitic movement. So, and that was 2010. So I, I, I guess I was in some way also responsible for the, that emergence um, in, the, in the political arena. Yeah, that was a uh, very interesting, uh, you know, because I actually did some research into um, the Battlestar Galactica series in terms of its uh, in creator, Glenn Larson, actually working with uh, Leslie Stevens IV, who was uh, the son of a Navy admiral and was read in to the Navy's secret space program. And so, oh, and, and he wrote the pilot episode for Battlestar Galactica uh, originally. So, it's kind of like I think it was a soft disclosure yeah. that not only are there these human extraterrestrials out there, but also these kind of uh, artificial synthetic life forms that are involved in this kind of like battle uh, between organics and synthetics uh, throughout the galaxy. And, and that seems to be a, a constant even now. Uh, so, yeah, do you want to kind of like speak to that? Because you know, people are uh, thinking about AI and the danger, but, you know, is it something that also applies to this kind of extra extra uh, extraterrestrial uh, phenomenon? And how do we deal with that? A great, great, great question. A bit broad in context, but I, I would say that the, the what's emerging now in the Gestalt or in the Zeitgeist is the um, fact that we are having to uh, take a reckoning with the fabric of so-called reality as a genus, as a species, as a civilization, as a planetary culture. Uh, we're having to um, put away religious dogma. We're having to put away um, political and social ideologies and uh, socioeconomic sensibilities. We're having to look at far more profound and uh, impactful aspects to creation and to reality. Um, and that's always a standoff uh, in this dualistic universe between the organic and the fictitious. So the curiosity that we're faced with as a conundrum, as a dilemma, um, is um, what is real and what is not real? What is born of God and what is born of the false light? It's a, it's a, it's a confounding uh, dilemma that's facing humanity. And because human beings emphasis the angelic aspect of the human, we are all galactic hybrids, to be sure, and we carry a multiplicity of galactic or cosmic uh, genetic expressions within each of us. 
some of us more emphatic with Syrian or Venusian or Andromedan, um, a gene expression, you know, the, the Africans, for instance, uh, or the mantis element in the Southeast Asian and the Asian genome. So th there is a fantastic tapestry of cosmic and genetic uh, uh, gene uh, expressions going on. But all of it ultimately compounds into the human. And it is the angelic aspect of the human that is prevailing. That is the emergence of the pulse of humanity, the common pulse of humanity, which is the Christed mantle, the second coming, so to speak. That's the thing that's emerging here. And it is forcing upon us a reckoning at the individual and the collective level. This is a very beautiful and uh, profound and epochal time for that reason. But what it's doing, as you know, human beings are quantum capacitors of limitless creative force and um, uh, prana or kundalini or life force, universal force. And what we do is we think things into manifestation. So we give, uh, I put ideas into the field and then we put attention on those ideas. And that's what manufactures or manifests reality. And we're now awakening to the um, somewhat sorry fact that we have collectively been subjugated uh, to um, the, the, let's say, lower elemental, lower astral, um, extraterrestrial um, forces to some great extent. There has been a battle of between angelic and demonic elements, so to speak. That's just playing out in the theater of our uh, ideas. And so we project those ideas into the field. And what we get back is this fictitious reality born of the Vatican complex governments and black and white dialectic of Republicans and Democrats and he's and she's and all the nonsense that the binary dualistic human mind gets enchanted into. The invitation, the real invitation, uh, Michael, to my mind is the point of transcendence that we're being invited actually to now supersede or to transmute and transcend that binary logic and step into our, um, again, I use the term our Christed mantle to assume that mantle and stop uh, playing binary um, dialectics, start to recognize that we are all sons and daughters of God, that we are all um, creators in that sense. Um, so for me, everything that is playing out the fictitious versus the organic, the artificial, uh, the artificialization of our sentient organic reality is a natural um, um, kind of end game apocalyptic or Armageddonist scenario that the invisible mastery behind the lower elemental aspect of humanity is seeking to artificialize our field of reality because arguably this is the very last time because it is the end of time that these lower elemental forces or demonic forces are able to, or lower frequency, lower vibrational forces are able to sustain their own traction on this earthly temporal plane. Why? Because this plane of existence, Tara, Gaia, Earth, is born of the angelic. It is a covenant between the living sons and daughters of God on the surface of the Earth and the Atman, the Godhead, the living God, the living gospel. It is up to us how we choose to steer reality from here. And that's the great reckoning. We are each of us having to uh, grow up very quickly and to transmute and transcend binary logic and uh, duality.
So I see the artificialization or the attempt at AI transhumanism and all of the calamity that that represents. And even I'd go so far as to say the satanic and Luciferian interventionism into human mRNA through the uh, COVIDiac and uh, all that we've experienced uh, in, in recent, the last 500 years, essentially, which has been the great corridor of the nine gates of hell that we entered into uh, on the day that Hernan Cortez landed on the shores of Mexico and planted the papal flag and announced, you know, pronounced dominion over the indigenous people of the Americas and then holocausted them, genocided them, which is what the British and the Dutch and the Portuguese and the Spanish um, did all around the world uh, at the behest of the Vatican. So that started 500 years ago, that blood cult, that uh, holocaust genociding of the black skin, brown skin, red skin, yellow skin people invoked huge um, black magic, so to speak, into the field. And that black magic was the utility of, um, let's say, less evolved um, forces in the universe that were able to then steer reality. And they steered it all the way to Hillary Clinton and Henry Kissinger. I mean, when you look at these deviant archetypes that have emerged in the world in recent generations, um, emphasis the Napoleonic Wars, World War I, II, and now this Third World War that we're in. It's an absolute abomination. The systemic poisoning of all living systems in the biosphere, um, courtesy of our governments and our tax dollars, rendering unto Caesar, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's all our doing in that sense. I see it as a perfect uh, temple, a perfect school. We must choose the outcomes. Okay, well, um, you yeah, know, there's a, there's a lot there to cover. So, I, I'm very interested in that period when you, uh, you, after you set up Humanidad and you were brought in to the UN, and you got to meet a lot of elite figures, and and you're trying to promote this awareness of this greater reality, uh, exarchaeology, and so forth. And so you met these people. And so did you find that there was a lot of awareness amongst elite of the yes. of the presence of the extraterrestrials and, and that they were they had made this conscious decision to kind of like side with that kind of like, um, you know, I, I guess that binary thinking and, and just kind of like, you know, perpetuate this dualism. You know, we, we are the elite, we are the controllers and the rest of these dumbed down sheep and we'll just control them, manipulate them because they can't figure it out. Great question. And here's the answer. And it's a very informed answer from me. The hereditary leaders that I have met, and I've met hundreds of them, kings, queens, sultans, paramount chiefs, you name it. The hereditary leaders, the true hereditary kings and queens and sultans and so on, are the goodly, godly human the ones who had a divine right to rule, so to speak, because it was codified in their genetic expression going back to the you know, Nephilim and the Anunnaki. We could wax lyrical on that subject. But the bottom line is that the hereditary kings and queens were all variously usurped and overthrown by the Vatican hegemony over the last 500 years, courtesy of the Jesuits who came in, effectively got rid of the godly and God, godly anointed uh, hereditary leaders and replace them with usurpers uh, up to and including the British crown, which is a crown uh, uh, rid riddled with usurpers. All of the crowns of Europe 
have been infected, infested, transfected, essentially, by the House of Rothschild, by the Sabbatean invisible mastery. Uh, if you look at who sired um, your Queen Victoria, it wasn't uh, Prince Albert, that much I can assure you. Uh, it was the House of Rothschild that sired uh, Queen Victoria uh, back in the day and subverted the British crown altogether. But you've got stories in all of the crowns of Europe that um, are part of the same uh, deviation from God's plan, so to speak. Um, the hereditary leaders that I've met over the years have been the anointed ones, but they've had their power taken away. I've met with kings who um, have no passport in their own country and no, uh, no, no ability to hold money. They can command the army and they have uh, security and they live in palaces. And I've traveled in cavalcades with them on multiple occasions. Uh, and I've seen the extraordinary reality that some of these hereditary leaders have been stripped of real power. They cannot get on a plane and leave the country. They can't command anything outside of a very limited jurisdiction. I don't want to name which countries because it can affect relations that I have. But I can tell you I'm talking principally the Middle East and North Africa here amongst the Islamic, Islamic uh, countries. I've, I've met with um, multiple um, sultans and kings and even kings of kings in uh, Asia, Southeast Asia. And I have had kings sobbing on my shoulder when I have explained to them the truth of the usurping of their legacy by their great-grandfathers who were tricked by the Jesuits, by the Roman Catholic Church, by the Dutch, by the Portuguese, the Spanish, the English, all working variously connected to the Vatican complex, um, mostly connected to the superior general or the black pope of the Jesuits. And so the covenants and treaties that were struck over the centuries um, were lies. They were robbing the land and the wealth of these um, hereditary leaders and then imposing uh, false kings and false leaders onto those thrones. Um, there are most, if not all of the, most of the countries in the Middle East and the sheikhdoms are illicit sheikhs. They were the corrupted brothers and uncles of the real sheikhs or kings um, who were taken off the throne or poisoned, assassinated and had their corrupted um, uh, family members or even outsiders take over the sheikhdom, take over the thrones. So when you look at the Al Maktoum today in Dubai, uh, as an example, or you look at the Al Khalifa, or you look at any number of these uh, royal houses, it, one ought to really study the truth and the veracity of the claims. So it's a very complex question. I'm not going to finally answer the point you're trying to bring out. The false kings and queens and the false um, uh, leaders that were imposed are all variously going to protect to the death the fiction, the fictitious, the false light element of that country, of that government, because they have an unholy alliance with the corporation government. So they are allowed to still sit on their stupid thrones and hold their stupid scepters and wear their uh, stupid ceremonial crowns and ermine when they're doing their ceremonial bullshit. And they're still allowed to live in their palaces, but they are subjugated to, in a sense, the corporation. So the crown of England, uh, for instance, the king, uh, erstwhile the queen, but now the king has to uh, beg permission before entering the city of London of the Lord High uh, Sheriff or the mayor of uh, the city of London, which is a privately owned jurisdiction owned by the Sabbatean um, and satanic bloodlines. Same thing with the Vatican City, which is its own jurisdiction and 
District of Columbia in Washington, Washington, D.C. So the trifecta of evil being Washington, D.C., the Vatican complex and uh, the crown of England is a trifecta that is uh, under the control of privately owned cartel or syndicate of Babylonian priests, uh, so to speak. That's my language. Um, the good leadership have no real say, no real power. The good hereditary leaders that I've met um, have told me behind closed doors that they daren't speak above a whisper of the truth of things that they have learned. And others I've educated, and as I've said, had kings sobbing on my shoulder on occasion. It's been very uh, moving uh, to be a part of that process of enlightening some of these leaders as to the true legacy and criminality of their uh, governments and of their, their crowns. It's, it's, a, it's a travesty, but people of the world will learn about this soon enough. I would hazard uh, a guess that within the next five to seven years, all of this will be uh, dragged into the, the daylight. I know that the work that I have done with Humanitad and with the New Earth Project has done and contributed a great deal toward that emergence. I know that we have the evidences of that. We gathered 26 of the kingdoms and sultanates of Southeast Asia together in 2019, just on the eve of, uh, of, of uh, COVID it, at our base in Bali, the New Earth Haven there. And we brought together kings and sultans who historically had not uh, come together in thousands of years. We pull off things like that. I'm planning similar events here in, in the Americas, in, in the Mexico where I'm based, because the hereditary leaders need to, in a sense, be reinstated as the corporate, the corporation, the fiction governments get disassembled or deconstructed. The hereditary leadership needs to re-engage their covenants or their treaties because those were the, the Genesis treaties struck with them hundreds of years ago, three, four, five hundred years ago. And then once they've taken back power, they can then allocate that power to the people, to the sons and daughters of God, which is the great sea change that I see happening. We're not going to see a restoration of kings and queens, but we need to see redemption brought back to the hereditary leaders, and then they can then um, necessarily um, hand the power to the people because the people in that sense have come of age. And this old divine right to rule, which was absolutely bona fide, and real thousands of years ago, tens of thousands of years ago, hundreds of thousands of years ago, it was absolutely appropriate. They were the God kings. They walked amongst us as giants. Uh, we have all the vestiges and forensic evidences that we need out there. Um, but times have changed, and it is now time for the um, restoration or restitution of the angelic human. So we don't need leadership beyond a certain point. Well, yeah, that's a uh, fascinating uh, issues are raised there, and and I, you know what comes to mind when we're talking about the restoring the hereditary or recognizing the relevance and importance of the hereditary leadership um, over the kind of like superimposed false leadership that the West and the Khazarians have uh, imposed um, is this idea of uh, the Sumerians or the Anunnaki, where where you had the different factions, you you had one was heavily into control and manipulation, the so-called Enlil faction or the, or the Eagle faction. And then you had the other faction, uh, Enki, uh, the, uh, and they were alchemists. And for them, it was all about alchemy. It was all about uh, finding the divine potential within and bringing that out. So it's kind of like a different leadership or kingship model, if you like. 
that that the alchemists for them the the kingship was always this kind of sovereign individual that has mastery over themselves and over the environment whereas uh for the enlil model or the kind of enlil uh model they emphasize kingship or rule in terms of power over the others so yeah this this model of power over others and power over oneself and and being able to achieve that power within oneself that that i think is a characteristic of the of the true king or the hereditary kings so yeah. i think you were kind of speaking to that so that brings up this issue well what does it mean because there are people like elena denan and others that say that enki has returned to our solar system and enlil has been pushed out so what do you know of that um as much as you do probably and much of it uh, courtesy of uh, dear Elena Denan and uh, Dan Winter and other uh, great pioneering uh, thinkers in our midst, who I'm glad to count as friends. Um, what I do know is that the Anki and Enlil dialectic, again, is simply um, metaphoric or symptomatic. Uh, it's more than a metaphor because they were they're steeped in reality, but they become, in a sense, simply um, um, metaphors for the inspirational or the manipulatory. So you either, as a bad king, you would manipulate, you would dominate, um, and you would manipulate outcomes. And as a, an alchemist, you will invoke, you will inspire the emergence, the revelation of self-existing, self-revealing, self-manifesting patterns of perfection. Um, so that's the good king versus the bad king, the Enki versus the Enlil, the white dragon versus the black dragon, the light versus the shade. And, and that dialectic um, and, and dualistic principle, um, you know, represented perfectly by the caduceus, the mercurial caduceus of the twin serpents um, spiraling up like a double helix DNA um, uh, above the rod of Moses, the staff. Uh, thy rod and thy staff shall comfort me. Well, the rod and the staff is my own umbilical, my own telegraph, my own connection to God, to Atman, to source. When I have moved into coherence and the perfect geometry of my life, and I own fully the geometry of my soul, my incarnation and my life as a son or a daughter of God, that is how we activate that um, caduceus and uh, and and become a comfort to ourselves in that sense. And we move beyond the binary dualistic principles of Enki and Enlil altogether, which I think is a very important uh, metaphor. But we also, in looking at Enki and Enlil, we make the omission of not seeing the truest principle at work there, which was neither Enki nor Enlil. It was, in fact, their sister, Ninhursag, who was the true scientist of the Anunnaki and the daughter of Ra. Um, this is a foundationally matriarchal paradigm. Believe me on that. The, 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 the false narrative is that it's a patriarchal one. No, it's not. 20 years ago, I commissioned a uh, cultural anthropological study uh, with uh, Professor uh, Dr. Dejo Benedict, one of the greatest anthropologists in the world, in my view and the view of many people, a man who speaks 26 languages. And uh, the, the commission uh, that I gave him at the University of uh, Georgia in Atlanta was to study and to uh, uh, look into how many uh, cultures and faiths existed on the surface of the earth, how many tribes, different discrete tribes. And the uh, criteria which I offered 
up uh, in commissioning that study, which took, I think, about a year, was uh, each tribe has to have a different God, a different song, and a different invocation, different prayer and dance. And I, I think we got to about 10,000 different uh, tribes uh, with different languages before we gave up. And Professor Benedict said, look, stop. We have to stop this study because it's limitless, literally limitless. We know nothing. We're scratching the surface of how many um, tribes and gods and, um, and, and different um, uh, scripts and, you know, exist in the world. But the commonality that we discovered in that study, and this is the point I'm trying to make, was what was the commonality of all of the creation myths and all of these uh, cosmological and cultural stories? Well, believe it or not, the commonality was that in the center of the, our cosmos is a great grandmother spider, okay, weaving a web. That was it. It was a matriarch, a foundationally matriarchal principle, a spider weaving a web. You could talk about the spiral galaxy of the Milky Way. You could talk about the so-called black hole uh, or subspace phenomenon that occurs in the center of the spiral of the Milky Way, the zero point. You could talk about the matrix being the spider's web. But the point is it's a foundationally matriarchal uh, paradigm uh, reality complex that we inhabit and certainly has been. Uh, since the Orion, the ancient uh, Orions were taken down by the feminine, by the matriarchs. So that's something which we should look at is the, the deviant matriarchal presence in the midst. And, and I mean that because we need to look at the shadow element before we look at the, at the, uh, at the emergence or the revelation. Uh, but we've become, we've become, in a sense, tricked into simply focusing on this idea that we're trapped in a patriarchy and a cycle of bloodlust promulgated by the male of the species. Not true at all. Uh, sorry for going off on a tangent, but I think it was kind of an interesting play to talk about Enki and Enlil. They are part of a, a, a dialectic that is also part of a hypnotic um, a dialectic. And it's not dealing with the, with the genesis point, which is Ninhursag the daughter of Ra, who was actually the chief scientist who bred the human in the Petri dish, so to speak. Well, that history is uh, a fascinating history. And I know one of the uh, common interests that we have are the Bujaj Mountains and the discoveries there and the Hall of Records and the Radu Cinema Transylvania uh, Sunrise book series. And... Uh, you know, I, I'm fascinated by uh, its description of this kind of like ancient history, the different extraterrestrial civilizations that were involved in the Genesis. And, and it, it describes something very similar to the Sumerians. But I, I know you've actually had quite a bit to do with uh, the discoveries in Romania or have you had projects there. So, yeah, can you tell us what, what you're doing in uh, Romania and, and what, you know about the Bujeji mountain discoveries? Sure. I, I'm not a great scholar in this domain. I've been very invested and involved in other um, pointed um, archaeological discoveries like the Ark of the Covenant discovered in the, the Wadi Rum Desert in Jordan, which is still um, being sequestered by a Delta Force hand in glove with the Jordanian, Jordanian military, uh, by best accounts. Uh, that's a storyline I've been variously involved with, with the uh, Satis Foundation and the Defali uh, Foundation um, since the discovery many years ago of that extraordinary 
um, um, uh, alien technology underground there, plasma walls and the crypt of, of um, uh, Cleopatra, the Ark of the Covenant, and, um, and various other extraordinary historical Alexander the Great's tomb uh, as well is contained there. I published the photographs and some of the filmic evidences of that about two years ago with the Lazarus Symposium, which I host once a month which is leading the discovery in, 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 in this, these arenas. But the Bucheci Mountains in Romania came onto my radar about two years ago when I was invited uh, by my now partner, uh, Bruno Mihailescu, to uh, Romania, and uh, a General Mihail is a, a erstwhile five-star military general, uh, a very beautiful soul, and a, a number of military and intelligence figures, engineers, scientists uh, in that part of the world that are now part of the constellation of uh, our technologies group that we have out there, uh, the uh, Thracia Unita group. We are protecting and incubating uh, certain scientists and uh, technologies and protecting them to some extent and um, uh, finding ways to incubate finance um, and then bring to market some of these algorithms and innovations and technologies which break the Newtonian physics and the Cartesian model uh, by the grace of God, about bloody time. But that's how I got pulled into Romania. And uh, once I got there and started meeting with um, uh, some of these folks, uh, they inculcated into me um, the stories of the oldest um, written record in the world. It's not the Sumerian cuneiform, as expounded by um, Zechariah Sitchin and other scholars. It actually there is a, there is a, um, a, a written tablet um, that is in Romania that I'll be going and seeing later this summer and filming, and that is um, thousands of years older than the cuneiform tablets of four and a half thousand years ago of the Sumerians. So all of academia, popular academia, looks to uh, Sumeria as being the genesis point of our because it's the oldest has been noted as the oldest written record. It's not at all. We need to seriously rethink things altogether. Um, the Bucheci Mountains is interesting outside Bucharest, and I've been there uh, on a couple of occasions. I've not been into the alien base because no one is allowed to go there. Um, uh, I, I'm, we are petitioning at the moment. My, my partners and the military guys that uh, we're uh, dealing with uh, are we're petitioning to gain some access whenever that becomes possible. I had Sean Stone uh, on, on the phone today and yesterday and the day before. Sean wants to uh, join me this summer uh, out in Romania. We, we'll probably go together. Point is this. They did discover um, an alien base. I published the photographs, which I uh, shared with you, uh, Michael, uh, recently. And they are the most extraordinary images uh, imaginable. And they show tunnel systems, which are absolutely mammoth, um, which by best accounts go to all continents from beneath the Bucheci Mountains. Um, they've got technologies which we haven't even begun to understand, holographic technologies that um, activate inside a cave system that is, I can't remember, one over, over a kilometer high, uh, one point. 1,200 meters high or something insane, uh, a pyramid that itself is a quarter of a kilometer high inside the um, cave system. I published those photographs of that extraordinary um, pyramid inside with its own kind of geoluminescence and 
um, how these caves are lit is a mystery to me. These huge effigies of giants that have been discovered there as well. The laboratory in the main, the, the main table in the main laboratory area of this underground alien base um, is three meters high or three and a half meters high, which indicates to us that the giants that were working in that laboratory um, were themselves um, seven meters or eight meters high, uh, wh whatever it would have been. We believe, and we've got very good reason to believe, considering Romania is the genesis point of all ancient kingly bloodlines, and Romania gave issue to Rome, and Romanian language is older than Latin. They don't teach that in school now, do they? But that's the truth of the matter. The reason why the Romani gypsies have been marginalized as being a stupefied subculture, subculture is because the Babylonian priesthood, the invisible masters that have emerged in the last cycle of hell, have tried to subjugate the true uh, kingly lines and have done a very good job in that, in that regard. Uh, uh, not the kingly, but the noble bloodlines, the ones that are carrying coding, very special coding. So something magical is going on in Romania. Emphasis in the Buchechi Mountains. The fact that the U.S. Um, vanguard military intelligence, uh, hand in glove with the satanic government of Romania, under the protection of the satanic European Union and the European Central Bank, are all complicit with locking that facility down and away from good people of Romania, much less people of the world. So I've been on, um, uh, on mainstream television in Romania on multiple occasions uh, with, uh, with very big viewerships. And uh, as recently as two weeks ago, I was on uh, for another very long, I think two hour long special um, interview when I was speaking boldly to the stuff for the first time. Um, so I'm very privileged that it took me an outsider to be invited in to speak to the Romanian people about their own legacy, their own heritage. Uh, but the Romanian connection to the genesis of species of man appears to be absolute. And if you ask me, that uh, facility that I showed you the photographs of, the alien base, so to speak, that is now sequestered by Delta Force and the Romanian uh, shadow government, uh, that it's not even the shadow government, the government proper is involved. But that to me is probably the laboratory within which Nin Hursag um, did the genetic manipulation of the latter day human. Well, that's fascinating. So it sounds as though uh, you, to the best of your knowledge, confirmed that the Transylvania book series that Peter Moon edited is, is accurate. Because there is some question as to whether or not Radu Cinema. Is, is a real person or is some kind of concoction, just some kind of literary device to, to get the information out? So, I mean, did you find anything, the people you talked to, was there any indication that Radu Cinema was was real or, or was he just a concoction to we're, get the we're speaking, out? We're speaking to special ops guys who've been into the facility um, and they are not wanting to go public. They're not wanting to be interviewed. They're not wanting to be on the record, but they're engaging the private conversations. And um, what we're doing is probing to see if there is any fracture there in the protocol where we may be able to make representation to the idiot powers that be that actually 
this is uh, this is something which cannot be held back beyond a certain point, and we should be involved in an engineered um, disclosure. You know, I think in any event, to answer the question, I think that the Radu phenomenon is like many other phenomena of recent times, which is that there is a certain, let's say, white hat element that is in the process of deconstructing the control, the old control apparatus and mechanisms. And I think that it is very likely that Radu is a privy, uh, a privy to that um, kind of procedure that wouldn't shock me in the least. Okay. Well, there's another area that I, I, I believe you're familiar with, and I, I don't know all that much about it, and that concerns Tataria and the advanced technologies and civilizations it apparently achieved. As far as I knew, um, Tataria was uh, synonymous with this Tatar Muslim kingdom going back to the Middle Ages and um, at some point, the, the Russian Empire took it over and the Tatars kind of remain. Uh, but it seems that there's a lot of uh, information that Tataria has continued in some form. And, um, yeah, so wanted, you want to tell us what you know of uh, Tataria and the kind of technologies it, it possessed? Well, I can tell you, uh, Michael, that it is just not humanly possible or feasible uh, to break down the subject in 10 or 15 minutes. It's just not physically possible. Um, I, I don't have the syntax. I don't have the, the scope, the prowess to be able to do it. I'll try my best in a few minutes to just elucidate the subject, which I think is becoming fast, becoming the single most important subject uh, for revelation in our day, in our time, which is the reckoning with the fact that a good and evil essentially played out in our archaeo-historical record as a kind of bake-off or standoff between uh, ancient Tataria and ancient Khazaria. And of course, the Khazarian mafia won the day, which is why we have the Saturnian, Satanic, and Jupiterian, um, Archonic, uh, and, uh, and Draconian elements uh, governing and uh, throwing, casting dominion over all living systems in this world. It's because that Khazarian, um, Saturnian Echelon managed to win the day and uh, uh, overthrew uh, Grand Tataria, so to speak, the golden age, the, the true golden age of humankind, which we don't know if it's thousands of years old, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years old. In point of fact, we don't know if it's millions of years old. We do know, however, that St. Basil's Cathedral in St. Peter's Square in Moscow is likely uh, to go underground by many hundreds of stories. Um, we know that um, many of the buildings in Washington, in Philadelphia, in Chicago, in London, in San Francisco, in Paris, in Vienna, in Prague, in Rome, go underground. Uh, uh, and they are far bigger um, uh, monuments, uh, architectural monuments underground than what's peaking above the surface. We know that uh, there is evidence, forensic evidence of um, systemic mud flooding all around the earth. Um, quite when that happened is hard to know, but it seems to correspond in many cases with the uh, various recent creation myth stories of the Great Flood, which wasn't that long ago in the span of time. Be sure that's a very recent chapter, the last uh, 13,000 odd years since the semi-arc of the procession, grand procession of the equinox, the last time uh, we passed through this kind of 
cosmological turbulence was about 13,000 years ago. That was by best accounts when Noah's, uh, the, the great flood and Noah's ark stories emerged from that. And so a kind of reset has occurred at that time, almost certainly, and mud flooding all around the earth. But uh, does that mean that the post, the, 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 the Grand Central Station in you know, Chicago or in Johannesburg, does that mean that that's tens of thousands of years old? Not necessarily, but in some cases, categorically, yes, that is the truth. The pyramids that are being discovered all around the world, um, you know, the, the, the pyramids in Egypt are interesting enough. I was just in the Nubian Desert in the Sudan uh, recently where I went to investigate the 250-odd uh, Nubian pyramids, which uh, in some cases are much bigger than the pyramids in Egypt and certainly at least twice the, as old. Um, I've got some relics I brought back uh, illicitly, I dare say. It's now a war zone, unfortunately, and we got out just in time. But, uh, I, you know, I was planning to go back there this summer to make the big film on the Nubian pyramids. And why is it that these pyramids that are vastly bigger than the pyramids in Egypt, why is it that the entire top half of these pyramids have been blitzed and devastated? Um, so where's the rubble? Millions of tons of, of this kind of almost iron metal bricks. They don't exist. They know we're in the desert. And these pyramids are in the middle of the desert. There's no towns that were built and made by cannibalizing there as building material. So what happened to these millions of tons of the top halves of these pyramids? You can see the bottom half. They're Russian pyramids, so they're that kind of shape. They're not the, the standard um, pie-shaped pyramids of Egypt. These are the Russian-shaped pyramids, the very tall ones. But the top halves have been blown off almost as though some... Um, you know, spaceship, some alien spacecraft came down with monumental lasers and it just eviscerated the tops of all of these pyramids. Why are all the tops of all the pyramids devastated, including the ones in, in the, 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 the Great Pyramid in Egypt? Where's the capstone? The capstone is where the capacitance happens, where the charge is brought in, the dielectric charge comes in, the universal charge, and marries it to the paramagnetic charge of the earth and then creates a catalyzing effect and a radiant energetic uh, explosion into the lateral, no, wrong, implosion, not explosion, into the lateral plane, powering up this plane of existence on free, so-called free energy, on harmonic, radiant, uh, vibratory energies that are life-affirming and that, that power up spacecraft and power up citadels. What happened in our ancient history why did all the star forts, the thousands of star forts being discovered all around the world right now, courtesy of drone technology, because everyone can now send a drone up and see the truth of what lies uh, on the surface of the earth. Hitherto, all of our knowledge of this earth plane has been part of a midnight Masonic tapestry of lies promulgated by the British Museum, the uh, Smithsonian Museum, the Royal Geological uh, um, uh, Society and the Vatican Library being principal uh, 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 criminals in this uh, crime scene. So we are only now just scratching the surface and beginning to have a reckoning with our true history, our true archaeology and our true anthropology. It's a powerful time. The next seven years, we're going to learn more than we've learned in the last 700 years. Okay, so um, I know that there has been a lot of the ancient technology that has been kind of known to exist 
And I mean, the, the pyramids were kind of like part of this uh, global electrical grid. And there's been a number of researchers that have talked about that. Now, I, I, I'm still kind of like not clear as to how that relates to this information about Tartaria, because that seems to be a meme that's out there. And I'm not sure if it's if it's genuine or if it's disinformation. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, there definitely was an ancient global civilization. And I mean, you can go back to Atlantis and some of that probably survived the Great Flood. Yeah. Uh, but then fell into disrepair. But, you know, Tataria as a kind of Central Asian kingdom involving Muslims, um, you know, how, how does that relate to, to the meme today? That, that well, to me is I don't think clear. the Islamist element is helpful to bring in because the Islamist element is is connected to the Ottoman Empire. And then you've got to go back to King Bulan and the Khazarian uh, Judaism, Ashkenazi Judaism being foisted onto the marauding, hoarding masses of the Asian plains uh, under the reign of King Bulan or thereabouts uh, many centuries ago. That was the that was the um, orchestration of the Ashkenazi Jewish faction, which has taken over. And now, of course, this notion that um, Ashkenazis are real Jews is a nonsense. I mean, they get very upset about it, and uh, you can get blacklisted and deplatformed for even raising the specter of doubt. And yet, it's pure anthropological and ge genealogical evidence that the Shepardic uh, so-called Jews in in that part of the Levant are, in that sense, the true Jews, and the Ashkenazis came from the Mongolia and the steppes of, uh, of Eurasia. That's just a fact. They were not from Israel. They were not from the Levant. And yet they become the 98% demographic of what we now popularly regard as our Jewish brothers and sisters. And I don't uh, deride for one instance uh, the noble uh, uh, Jewish um, mystical traditions. Uh, not the elements of the Talmudist and uh, going back to the, uh, to the um, um, uh, oh God, the, 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 not the Essenes and the, and the Cathars, but the, at that time, uh, forgive me, the Genesis point of the uh, Talmudists were involved in very dark practices at the same time as purportedly the Master Jesus was walking uh, the surface of the earth. And so when you go back to that time, you see that there was a complete corruption in the in the in the record in the historical record and everything subsequent to 325 320 um more or less 325 a.d council of nicaea is an orchestration of the roman catholic church it was how the romans uh, the caesars of rome based on their bloodlust ended up co-opting the christian faith turning it into their utility and then creating that as a means by which they could subjugate another, you know, empire and march forth as the Roman Catholic Church. And that then franchised onto Londinium through the Romans to the genesis of England and the city of London, then onto Washington District of Columbia, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, if you're really tracking all of these popularly known or recognized cultural and historical myths and storylines, they still all lead us back to a bifurcation uh, in the great Eurasian plains, which possibly was Pangaea, uh, Michael, for all I know. It was when the continents were all connected as one. And so to speak in terms of, you know, a, a bake-off between ancient Khazaria and ancient Tataria could just be the way that we're cogitating in our brains. The fact that there was a bifurcation that occurred amongst the fellowship of man 
many, many, many millennia ago. And then we drifted into this kind of dystopian reality that's emerged in recent, in recent generations and centuries. But you can't ignore the fact, number one, why is the most demonized man on the face of the earth, arguably the most enlightened political man, which is one Vladimir Putin in Russia, why is it that he is so demonized? Well, part of it is the fact that he's playing a very seminal role in Revelation of ancient Tataria. A few short years ago, he released the ancient maps, the Tatarian maps. These are being uh, studied by scholars forensically. They stand up to scrutiny. Uh, Putin is involved in that sense as a white hat in the soft disclosure. In his case, I'd say it's a hard disclosure of reality. But we can't ignore the fact of ancient Tataria and ancient Khazaria. We know that the reason why we call the Federal Reserve and the central banksters and the satanic shadow governments of the world and the multilateral governments of the world, like the United Nations and the European Union and NATO and these evil consolidated forces of power and dominion, why do we refer to them all as the Khazarian Mafia? It's because that's exactly what they are. They, co they co-opted cultures and faiths along the way. Uh, you could point a gun at the Jesuits uh, for this uh, in the main. So it's not a Jewish issue. It's not a Khazarian issue. It's not a Je Jesuitical issue. It's not a Catholic issue. It's all, you can see Catholicism, which has emerged off the pillage and the marauding and the butchery of the blessed Cathars. You know, that was co-opted, which is why it's called the Roman Catholic Church. And that then... It, all of these memes are interwoven and interfolded. And every time a new invisible Babylonian mastery takes control or dominion of the next storyline, the next cycle, they control the resets. They orchestrate and engineer the resets. It's why the Masonic motif is the checkerboard, the black and white squares of the Masons, Freemasons why it's all secrets and hush and, you know, the, the Moloch and Baphomet-inspired Bohemian Grovers, all of that stuff is how the invisible mastery have had to engage with humanity. They've had to come down to the ground floor and actually utilize humans to do much of the dirty work in the mercantile classes, the gold lenders and the money lenders and the, and the privateers, of history. So the fact of the matter is the fall from our state of grace, the golden age, we can allude to as being the fall of Grand Tataria. And all around us, we see the testament to that historically, archaeologically and architecturally. The fact of the matter is that in recent generations, we have been so subjugated and educationally um, confined into such a reductive worldview that was beaten into us by the Edwardian and Victorian and, you know, those, those various patriarchies that were controlling our reality. Again, it all happened, Michael, within the thrall of the last 500 years, which was the nine gates of hell, which ended in, in uh, 16th August 1987 with the harmonic convergence. And that was a springboard uh, to the end of time of the long count Sulkan of the Mayans, uh, 21st of December 2012. 
And that's now what we know was leading us into revelation, which is a, a departure from this hegemony of the galactic sleep cycle that we've been through. So we just need to collectively surrender to the fact that we know bugger all and that we need to now start to intuit and feel our way back to our true heritage and our true legacy, which is as God kings, as very, very high-born and noble lineages. And that's, I think, the emergence now. The serpentine elements have left. If you uh, ask and Elena Danan, she explicitly um, uh, insists that, I think it was end of 2021, the negative ETs were forced off terra firma. They are no longer in the basement or in that's the right. cockpit. Right. Yep. And that's, that's the greatest landmark in Revelation. So now that trickster energy of the Zeta Reticulin and the alien greys and these various other nefarious elements, that draconian elements that were controlling the blood cult, the death cult, the spiral of death and of dystopia, that element has left. We are now in a process of standing up and shaking ourselves down in the sunlight and going, what the hell happened? And who are we? And the remembrance is our gift, the beneficence we give to ourselves now. But we have to be courageous now to ignore all of the informed wisdom and logic that is non-mathematical, that does not compute, and discard it altogether. Um, and what I've been doing, I've been very engaged in that process for 24 years. And what it's led me to is an absolute uh, understanding of, again, the bifurcation of Kazaria and Tataria. And when we go further back, before that, we'll return to the true genesis point of the original angelic human. Well, one, uh, well, I guess you know, there's there's a couple of kind of uh, states that you've mentioned there that I think are very central to uh, the future. I mean, you mentioned Russia, Putin uh, being a very enlightened leader, and you've kind of mentioned London and uh, the, the powers that be in London. Now, one of the things that seems to be very critical in understanding what is going down at this at this moment in time is this new King Charles. Um, uh, now, the, the interesting thing about him is that uh, his coronation occurred six months, six weeks, and six days after his uh, mother was buried, which in itself is, is very, very suggestive of what's really going on. But there was a, a crypto viewing uh, session done uh, by some colleagues out of uh, uh, Hawaii, uh, Dick Allgaier, and what he said, what he found was, and he did a video. It's a short video on YouTube. It's just what what is it really about? Um, you can go on uh, YouTube and find it. Crypto viewing, but in this five minute kind of teaser, he describes that there was a second ceremony. That wasn't just the first ceremony. The, the first cer ceremony with all the pomp and gala that people saw on BBC and around the world. That that the real ceremony was the occult ceremony that happened behind the scenes and it involved the use of very powerful occult symbols and objects that tr transferred real power over and and there was blood sacrifice involved in that so you know this is where i think this kind of satanic element comes in so you know the, the question is and i know you know there, there are people that have spoken about this but you know before we 
get to that. I just wanted to get your take on you know the symbolism, the occult transfer of power, and and King Charles is he really the kind of head of the beast in terms of what remains on Earth of these dark forces, and he's trying to direct that dark energy to Ukraine and to this war. Uh, I don't think for one second that um, Charles, and I won't refer to him as King Charles, I don't recognize uh, the, the, the kingship there. Um, I don't believe for one moment that he is possessed of the acumen uh, or the temporal power, much less the um, mystical or spiritual powers to direct anything to anything ever. So no, I think that the, um, I think that the crown of England in that sense uh, propped up by a cacophony of gibbering uh, sock puppets in Whitehall uh, are, uh, in a sense, a dead industry. Um, I think that it's a, it's a fallacy. I think it's already fallen. The crown has already fallen. It's, it's going through a kind of needful uh, deconstruction. Um, and I think that the play out of certain um, Masonic and occultic uh, symbols and numbers is just part of the obsessiveness of these uh, criminals and these uh, sociopaths. Um, and I'm not suggesting they're all criminals and sociopaths. I happen to know that they're not. I happen to know for a fact that many members of the extant so-called royal families uh, are not any, uh, no part involved in ritual Satanism or in the Luciferian uh, cultism of their, of their positions. I, I know that there are collateral princes in all of these royal houses who are kept completely compartmentalized and princesses. They know nothing about the Babylonian mystery cult. They're not inducted into it in the course of their lives. They're kept as uh, normal so that they can interface with people, with members of the clergy, with members of the press and, and academia and the culture without ever um, knowing themselves about the evil that's coursing its way through their families. I've uh, spent time with and interviewed and uh, not for public discourse, but I've in private had multiple conversations over the years with uh, elements and members and relations in and of with royal houses from the Middle East uh, to the United Kingdom uh, and Europe. I've met with multiple royals myself, uh, emphasis the younger ones over the years. Um, I've gallivanted with them and partied with some of them um, and have seen up close and personal uh, that their auric field is completely intact as good, uh, as good humans, albeit born into a family that is part of a, a process of, of, of wickedness. And again, these families compartmentalize. They, they bring very few members, to my knowledge, into the science or the craft. Most of the members are peripheral and they are none the wiser about uh, what's going on in the basement. I know this because I've spoken to members of the family who've subsequently learned about what's going on and have been horrified. And uh, members also of so-called Illuminati families who I've uh, met with at their request. On a number of occasions, I've been asked to come and literally counsel uh, certain people coming from these families uh, who are part of the younger generation. They're now in their 40s and 50s. Um, so they've recently, in recent years, let's say the last 10 odd years, have awoken to the fact that they are part of generational satanic or Luciferian um, bloodlines and that their family, their parents, their grandparents have been engaged in blood rights. They do not wish to engage those 
um, covenants and those compacts. And they've had nervous breakdowns and all sorts of weird suicides or and assassinations. All sorts of weird shits happen. I could honestly talk for hours on the subject and you could talk about any number of countries and I could give you stories that I personally know about and that I have over the course of the last 24, 25 years or 24 years been somewhat directly involved in. And I, I'm not trying to big up my own repertoire. It's just that it's an extraordinary subject. I mean, I, I have met with um, members of royal houses and bloodlines that have witnessed the shape-shifting phenomenon in the palace, in their bedroom, when they turned 18. I've counseled um, some of these folks over the years, uh, and I've learned myself much of I've spoken to David Icke about this many years ago. 13, 14 years ago, I was having conversations with David Icke about what I was learning firsthand from some of these folks in these bloodlines and families. And so I'm sympathetic. I'm, I'm sympathetic with Prince Charles before I condemn him. I'm sympathetic with Prince William before I condemn him. And I'm certainly sympathetic for Prince Harry, for instance, before I condemn him. Because these proxy puppet creatures are born into this without necessarily participating in the blood rights. It's, it's rather like the real power in Washington is never the president. It's always the Sabbatean handlers. And the same thing in the Vatican. Trust me, that gibbering tit, uh, Jorge, uh, Argentinian child trafficker, uh, is not the true hand. He's not the, the power in the Vatican, not by a long chalk. And, and this is the problem, is that we have a tendency to wholesale condemn the royal house and assume that they're involved. People were saying that Donald Trump was involved in, in satanic rituals and in um, Luciferian rituals and because images were distributed that came from some Simpsons um, cartoon strip from 15 years ago, whatever. Honestly, we're living in a time, as you well know, Michael, of disinfo, double disinfo, and it's nigh on impossible to gain any clarity. I can only speak from my personal experience that few of the members of these houses are involved directly in the blood rights. They are not brought into the knowing or into the craft. But damn straight up, they are all involved. All those royal houses are involved. There's no question about that. And the, 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 the uh, enabling class in England, it would be in Whitehall, in... in um, uh, and in in uh, Washington, you've got the you've got the kind of support base of the you know in Congress and the Senate and these various families, generational families that are completely bonded and locked into the political um, fabric of Washington, and they've been at it for hundreds of years, just like the crowns of Europe. It's it's riddled with evil and with witches and and um, and with witchcraft. Be sure about that. But it's something which is losing its thrall. It's losing its power. It has no power. If the negative ETs left in 2021 and Pindar, the great imperial penis of the dragon, the, the highest authority in the world, has left uh, this earthly plane, um, then what's playing out with Prince Char King Charles and the theater of the royal, uh, the monarchy in Britain is just that. It's kind of like a, um, a, te a, a technicolor deconstruction of their own pathological bullshit. And so we really shouldn't 
place attention on it or take it too seriously. Not least because no witchcraft or no the efforts of any wizards or warlocks does not have any thrall over the Christed human being, provided the Christed human being is wearing their Christed mantle, conducting right action and, in, and standing in pure truth and, and moving on the surface of the earth, not causing injury or loss to other living souls. In that way, you are utterly protected. We don't need to protect or defend ourselves against anything or anyone, much less give our attention to the theatrics of the British monarchy. One of the people that I've worked with is uh, Tony Rodriguez, and he was part of a secret space program uh, put there as a punishment for kind of like uh, belittling uh, the child of, a, of an Illuminati figure. And, and so he was, first of all, uh, used in child trafficking, and he was exposed to some of these uh, blood sacrifices, these uh, child sacrifices where adrenochrome was generated and, and taken and used. And then he was taken up into space and, and used as a slave. So, uh, you know, there's a kind of like um, a continuity here between these blood sacrifice rituals, the uh, human trafficking, and these secret space programs. Um, so, yeah, what, you know, what is it? Because I know you did the uh, this uh, judicial commission, uh, you know, whether, whether you even looked at, at that kind of space human trafficking element or, or <laughs> enough to just look at what's happening on Earth. We couldn't really avoid it. I mean, I, I launched the International Tribunal for Natural Justice in 2015 in Westminster in London, and then in 2018 uh, launched the Judicial Commission of Inquiry into Human Trafficking and Child sex abuse and that was to begin uh which was my great mission and passion was to begin to open and uh, crowbar my way in our way into disclosure and to revelation of what's what lies beneath what's happening to the kids it's something i've known about since about 2007 i think uh, as, as early as that and it's something which caused me enormous pain and suffrage and sleepless nights and and fevers over the years until I got to grips with it and looked into it and met with so many survivors and um, investigators and criminologists and, um, and, and witnesses, uh, as well as generational uh, satanic um, uh, members, and learned from them firsthand about what goes on in that um, satanic basement. And then I went further and went deeply into the business of uh, trying to understand and decode blood rites and blood ritualism and sacrifice of innocence Canaanite ritualism, harvest of humanity, and took my inquiry even further than that into the metaphysics and even the hyperdimensional physics of blood ritualism. I needed to know. I needed to understand it. And so it's, I spent many, many, many years on the front foot. It's how I met uh, Dan Winter uh, and began years ago, uh, made a film with him, The Fractality of Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, looking at fractal uh, DNA as the antenna of, of um, in the demonic and the angelic realms. And I got to a space with the child trafficking bit uh, where I, I understood, I believe I came to a tremendous, um, almost transcendent understanding of the soul covenant that's involved in um, ritual satanic abuse and um, murder of, of in a sacrifice of innocence. 
I don't want to go into that here because it's a bit too heady um, and gets into very, very heavy physics, uh, metaphysics. But uh, bottom line is it makes absolute sense. And the geometry of it, I understand now uh, what makes these um, Saturnian types tick. I understand uh, the, about the molecules and the geometry of the molecules and uh, at work and the, the chemistry, the blood chemistry, and what it is that is infusing the false light um, life force into these deviants when they're drinking adrenal chrome or the blood of innocence. Why and how it works. And again, I, I draw the allusion to the fact of your local cat. Look at your kitten or your cat, how it mauls a bird or a mouse. It tortures the thing. It eviscerates it slowly and tortures it and comes back and continues to torture it, leaves it for a bit, comes back again. Um, they do that with insects and with anything they can get hold of. And uh, they adrenalize, terrorize the creatures to adrenalize the blood and then eat the thing. So that, in a sense, um, cult of Sekhmet uh, element, the cat uh, blood element in, our, in us is a very real component. Uh, I learned many years ago uh, from the most advanced researcher, I believe, in the world, uh, on the subject who came all the way to Bali to meet with me and to divulge to me the sum total of their researches and learnings over many years. Um, and this individual uh, taught me that it was cat's blood that is used in these ceremonies um, in order to, uh, in a sense, transfix the subject into something. So you could be a political um, uh, you could be a, a politician who's just been voted into power uh, and you're taken into a cocktail party and you're given um, a cocktail containing the cat's blood by a couple of um, um, members of a secret society, for instance, or fringe Satanists or Illuminati. You take that drink, you drink it. The psychoactive molecule in the cat's blood uh, renders you into a certain state. You're taken into a room ostensibly to sit down and talk to someone and uh, you can be walked into. Um, they can conduct the killing of um, uh, some evil creature and they can tr soul transplant in that transfixation state. So, for instance, there are very abstruse and weird and spooky ways of, of um, transferring power through blood rites and blood rituals. When you understand the parameters of this very odd and ancient language, it begins to make sense. You start to make sense of the so-called evil in the world and that you're just seeing different genome expressions trying to survive, draconian. I don't hold any hatred for uh, draconians. I've seen a shape-shifting reptile in the, in the late 1990s. I witnessed it firsthand uh, in broad daylight in the middle of the afternoon in London uh, at my home. It was brought to me. And it was uh, it's something which I didn't welcome. And I believe it was intended to harm me, to kill me. But it didn't kill me. And I learned so much from that engagement. I've spoken at length on the Lazarus uh, Symposium about that particular experience that I had. But it was, for me, an experience that fortified my autonomy as an angelic human. Rather than kill me, rather than me give up to that creature and allow for this intervention, it caused a reckoning in me where I stood into the angelic, where the angelic emerged in me, which we all have. And that host 
uh, completely took over. I took testimony in the International Tribunal Judicial Commission at Westminster, the hearings we did on uh, child sex abuse. We took testimony from the wonderful Jay Parker, who I would urge your audience to research and go and listen to this extraordinary man, as well as Mark Passio, a reformed a Satanist who's one of the most extraordinary, enlightened and conscious beings on the in, in the world. But Jay Parker, who was part of a generational satanic family, uh, gave testimony, uh, which anyone can go and see on commission.itnj.org. We took testimony from people who escaped Hollywood and, and um, child stars. We took uh, the, the guy, the, the journalist who exposed Pizzagate, um, came and te testified in our court. We had um, we had um, secretaries of state uh, fly in and and Nobel Prize nominees fly in to give testimony. The world has not really seen the works that we did because it was such an ugly subject. Now, courtesy of this film that just came out, um, the the um, by Sound Jim. Of Freedom. Yeah, the Sound of Freedom. This is now um, popularizing the subject. So. I had a meeting with the International Tribunal Quorum earlier today, and we're going to re-release now the testimonials uh, that we took, which go into explicit detail about the whys and the wherefores connected to uh, child trafficking. It's just it's, it's an incredible subject, Michael, and it has been the most sordid storyline in our basement. But the fact of the matter is that by the grace of the living God and revelation, it is now coming to the surface and um, I don't believe that abductions are taking place in alien, in, in UFOs. I don't believe you're going to hear any of those cases. And I don't believe that the, I think trafficking is still continuing. And the last vestiges of these rat lines of traffickers and pornographers and uh, fringe Satanists and so on, that they are kind of dying out. But it's not locked and loaded the way it has been for millennia. It's literally falling apart in front of our eyes right now. Well, I know that uh, we've spoken a little bit about the, the negative extraterrestrials uh, leaving uh, our solar system, them being forced out, and that what we're seeing is just the their former minions, the Cabal, the Illuminati, the Khazarians, kind of continuing to do what they've been doing, but they're in a, in a sense they're like leaderless, they're, they're headless. So what, what do you think? I mean, I, I know... Uh, Putin and Russia uh, uh, seem to be at the kind of forefront of this. And this brings to mind a, a prophecy from 1933. Edgar Cayce said that after Russia had embraced Christianity again, it would, be, it would become the hope of the world. I, I think that's an extraordinary prophecy. And, and here we, in the midst of watching uh, the, the kind of Khazarian, Ukrainian, NATO, uh, Dark Alliance virtually being taken down by by russia and yeah. these uh you know this this kind of resurgence of christian values so yeah do you, you want to kind of speak to that and how that merges with what we what you were talking about earlier this kind of return of this sovereign uh kingship yes indeed uh it, it, it is truly a beautiful thing to behold and vladimir putin in that sense i have maintained for many many years sort of well over a decade that this man is the most enlightened a political leader in, in history, as far as I'm modern history, for sure. Um, Ceausescu in Romania was also an enlightened leader. And uh, Colonel Gaddafi in Libya, God bless him, uh, was an enlightened leader. I can't say the same of Saddam Hussein, but Saddam Hussein was certainly a damn sight more enlightened than Tony Blair 
or, or uh, um, uh, the, the, any of the bushes. But the fact of the matter is that it, the return of Christian values in Russia is to speak to Christos, to the crossing, to the great crossing, uh, to the emergence, the second coming, which is the collective uh, flaming of the Christed human heart, the sons and daughters of God reconvening now and standing up in pure truth, in the flame of pure truth, and owning the fact that we are the sons and daughters of God, um, and to get away from the death cult aspect of the uh, man on the cross, uh, which in, in a great sense is an abomination, and any religious Christian, religious zealots who are still addicted to the blood of Christ in that sense are addicted to blood cult and to death cult. Same thing that, 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 that uh, got, got the Nazis motivated and the, and the, the, the um, Gestapo. So religious, religious zealotry is a very dangerous thing. And now it's also, uh, thank God, thank the living God, uh, we're seeing the end of religious zealotry in Islam and, and in the Christian world. But they're going to become very exacerbated first before the deconstruction happens. So the point I'm trying to make is that Vladimir Putin is uh, and Russia represents the aspect of the angelic human uh, genome expression. Uh, they represent the soul of humanity in a sense. Uh, energetically speaking, Russia represents the soul, uh, the reconstitution of the angelic soul. And that is uh, flaming uh, through the Russian uh, DNA, uh, to be sure. This is why the Khazarian um, uh, tried uh, took down Tataria. It's why Wall Street financed uh, Wall Street being the Khazarian mafia, don't forget, uh, the Crown of England, the Vatican, and Wall Street financed uh, Trotsky and Lenin and Stalin and the takedown of the Romanov dynasty through the Bolshevik Revolution, um, which was the last vestige of ancient Tataria, the Romanov dynasty. Um, so that didn't work. And then the imposition of the Cold War, which was an orchestration, again, by the Khazarian Mafia to relegate, try to relegate Russia uh, back to the Stone Age, break up the erstwhile Soviet Union and try to throw Russia back into the Stone Age. Well, that didn't work out too well, baby. And I'll tell you why. Because the Khazarian proxy, Boris Berezovsky, who was a Mossad agent, I knew him well, incidentally. I partied with the man um, on a number of occasions and had dinner with him privately on two occasions uh, before he got murdered by British Secret Service about five years ago. But Boris Berezovsky, who I didn't know when I was partying with him, I wasn't aware um, uh, of this stuff to the degree that I'm aware now. I knew that he was an exiled oligarch from Russia. I had now learned that he was the controller, the man who was essentially the kingmaker, um, uh, taking um, uh, Yeltsin out of power, putting uh, Putin fresh from the KGB into power. Putin, that time, almost 20 years ago, was smart enough to realize that Berezovsky, um, who was the kind of Rupert Murdoch of Russia, who was a, a, a Russian a, a Jew, um, a Khazarian, Ashkenazi, he was uh, conflated using um, Mossad money, so to speak, to um, make Putin the king, put him on the throne. Putin was supposed to be the utility of the Khazarians. Be clear about that. And uh, Berezovsky uh, was exiled by Putin once Putin ascended to the throne and realized that he was simply a proxy like Yeltsin and would be thrown aside 
after four years or eight years once he'd fulfilled his usefulness to his masters. So he was smart enough to realize what would happen to him. So whilst he had the seal of office and, um, and being the best Eagle Scout from the Kremlin, uh, from the KGB, once he got into power, he banished Kordakovsky and Abramovich and all these other uh, marauding um, um, uh, privateers, the oligarchs who had shredded the Commonwealth of the good Russian people, courtesy of um, the way that the West had orchestrated the downfall of Russia. This gets into some very, very strange stories, some of which I've been involved with over the years, uh, one of them being the suitcase that the whole of the wealth of Russia collapsed into uh, a bunch, one bond, um, in, in a sense, a, a, a one unified bond, which uh, Ambassador Wanta, Leo Wanta, was supposed to return to the Kazarian mobs, mobsters in, in Washington. And, but Reagan and, and he were involved in a conspiracy to not take that collapsed wealth of Russia the day that Russia fell and the cold and the wall came down. The wealth of Russia collapsed into one bond in the central bank into a suitcase, was supposed to be handed over to the Kazarian Mafia. They didn't hand it over. Thank God for Ambassador Leowanta. Thank God for Ronald Reagan on that day because it caused a whole calamity for a lot of people and a bunch of assassinations. But I'll tell you, that prevented the, the real collapse of Russia. Putin is then put on the throne. He excises Berezovsky, the kingmaker. He takes power. Putin had a true turning in the same way that JFK did when his corrupted father, Joe Kennedy, who was a Cosa Nostra, um, a mafiosi uh, operative or partner um, connected to the bootlegging at that time, JFK also cut off his father and the, tried to cut off his dad and the influence from the Cosa Nostra. Bobby Kennedy, of course, then went on as attorney general to prosecute the mob and take them down almost single-handedly. It got him killed. It got Jack Kennedy killed as well. But the point is that Putin succeeded where JFK failed. JFK tried to take the power because he had an angelic restoration when he took temporal power. It happens to some humans, you know, when they actually get onto the throne. They don't go across the line to the Dark Lords. They actually have an angelic remembrance and an upflaming of their Christic consciousness. That happened to this blessed man, Vladimir Putin. Um, and uh, he has managed to navigate uh, Russia through this turbulence of the last uh, almost two decades, riding that horse bareback, almost single-handedly as a strong man, telling his people, this is going to be a hard ride, but I'm going to get you out of hock to the central bankers to these privateers, uh, which he did. So a couple of years ago, as you know, he got Russia out of its debt to the IMF, which was historic. The man should win a Nobel Prize for that. Not that the Nobel Prize is anything to go by. But the point is, he did exactly what any good, great and noble leader should do, got his people out of the control of the satanic Kazarian mobsters once and for all. It took him almost 20 years. God love him. And now with the Ukraine uh, conflation in Ukraine of this uh, theatrical production, which indeed causes the death of a great many people, but be clear, it is the um, moronic, imbecile, and Saturnian sock puppet Zelensky working hand in glove with that gibbering sock puppet Biden and his proxies that are construing 
the idea of a war in order to prevent this emergence of Russia uh, as the salvation principle uh, geopolitically of the world. They have failed. Uh, they've already failed. The good spirit of the good people of China, the good spirit of the good people uh, in Russia have united and the BRICS nations are forming now as the antidote to this globalist um, theater. And uh, we're going to see in the next uh, year a complete uh, deconstruction of this nonsense in the Ukraine. I dare say they will try a thermonuclear strike uh, through suitcase bomb uh, or something along those lines. They've tried it before. I've been involved in one occasion um, very seriously in one of those incidents uh, on the world stage, uh, which we diffused uh, about in 2007 with President uh, Dronovzhek of Slovenia and some great souls. I was directly involved in that uh, suitcase bomb, decommissioning it. Uh, this is how these devils work, uh, Michael. Uh, when, they, when they've lost their capacity to engineer and orchestrate the outcome, they will try just the havoc principle, which is a nuclear bomb coming out of a suitcase to bring about abject devastation. That won't happen, uh, courtesy of the... Uh, angelic principles which are now governing the ethers of this world but be sure that uh, vladimir putin is the anointed one in that sense so just uh, one final question uh, sasha and and that is as this kind of uh, emancipated human where we have uh, freed ourselves of the deep state of the kazarian mafia of the negative extraterrestrials as we step into our power what role do you think the positive extraterrestrials are playing or will play in all of this? Well, I rather suspect that you and I are the positive extraterrestrials. And I think <laughs> that's the point, is that we are the successful outcome of the galactic hybridization that occurred with the angelic human. Uh, remember, there was no great fall. That is a travesty, an abomination, and a great lie. There was no fall. There was no great fall. We took a backward dive into the abyss as the angelic sons and daughters of God a very long time ago at the onset of time. And we did that in order to participate in the emergence of the fabric of soul and to create light uh, in the void and to bring all lower strata and elements of creation toward light themselves. And we've acted as the absolution principle, the salvation principle right now at this great closing of a, a cycle. Um, uh, and the emergence from a fitful galactic sleep cycle into a great new dawn, uh, we are, must just become remembered to ourselves fully as the angelics. Um, the, nonetheless, we have managed through multiple incarnations, each of us, to garner and gather all sorts of other galactic expressions in our DNA. But all of those, I contain uh, draconian um, uh, uh, elements in my DNA, as do you. I contain Syrian and Orion elements and Andromedan and Arcturian elements. All of those elements are now codified within us, within our blood, within our fractal uh, DNA. But the fact of the matter is all of those elements are now subjugating to and subjugated to the Christ, the living Christ, which is the Christos, which is the Christic consciousness. Uh, this is, again, the second coming. It's going to be a bit of hard medicine for the more reductive 
religious zealots out there who, again, are addicted to the portrait of Cesar Borgia uh, and a, a man dying on a cross um, with, a, with a crown of thorns, because that kind of religious idolatry was always the pathological mania of the Catholic Church. But the real living Christ, the living testament, the uh, living gospel, um, which is what the master, blessed master Yeshua, uh, uh, indicated in his time and uh, promulgated, as did all of the great avatar prophets, uh, can name a great many alongside master Yeshua. The fact of the matter is that it is now incumbent and beholden upon you and I, as the living sons and daughters of God, to stand beneath the central sun of pure truth, assume that Christed mantle, and now begin to manifest patterns of perfection in this new world, this new earth. Oh, brilliant answer. So where do people go, Sasha, if they want to find out more about your projects and get in communication with you? Uh, best is probably just to um, um, my main website, which is uh, sashastone.com. Uh, S-A-C-H-A stone.com and then uh, sign up there for my uh, periodic newsletters and um, there are multiple other websites the New Earth Horizon website the Lazarus Symposium uh, or Initiative website the Arise Guerrilla News website um, the New Earth Pharmacy where we're releasing uh, in September 36 um, um, breakthrough um, I'm not allowed to use the word cures uh, treatments, let's say, that will eviscerate um, many diseases as we understand them um, through a, an extraordinary um, uh, new technology. I'm very involved in now reclamation of human mRNA and DNA from these the satanic enterprise. So uh, getting human autoimmune system back on track and reclaiming and retrieving our mRNA and DNA from the Saturnian thrall of the Anthony Fauci's of this world and the injections is the most important practical uh, issue right now. So the New Earth Pharmacy that I'm launching in September, um, which is going to be doing some, we're already doing extraordinary work. People can find out in bioremediation. People can find out about that through uh, the sashastone.com uh, website. But uh, thank you for having me on today, Michael. It's always a great pleasure to, and an honor to speak with you. Well, thank you, Sasha. You gave uh, my audience a wealth of information, a, a great uh, a download for them to uh, digest. So thank you, and I look forward to talking to you again. God bless you. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com.